This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you in part by... Isn't it time for a truly custom-made guitar? Unique design and construction. Handmade in America. Innovation to fuel your inspiration. Go to dnaguitarcompany.com. And also by... Hey everybody, Mark David from Guitar Radio Show. Have you heard about Lockknob? Lockknob.com? Lockknob is a revolutionary product invented by a musician for musicians, solving the long-time problem of lost settings. How many times have you been at a gig or a session only to have to reset all of your settings on your amp or your pedals because they move during transit? You can upgrade your existing knobs on your amp, pedals, mixer, guitar, almost anything with a pot with an all-aluminum quality made reusable knob that does more than just look pretty. Never lose your settings again. Lock it down with LockKnob. Go to LockKnob.com for more. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 138 of Guitar Radio Show. Um, Y'all know Yngwie Malmsteen, Greg Howe, Billy Sheen, Paul Gilbert, Stoney Curtis, Dario Larina, the the list goes on and on. Y'all know who who those guys are, right? Okay. Well, the guy that was responsible for getting their career started is on the show today. Mr. Mike Varney. Uh, He is the uh, creator and president of Shrapnel Records, Blues Bureau Records. And, uh, oh man, I've had so many of his people on, so many people from his roster on. I mean, like Chris Duarte and... And Stoney Curtis, Dario. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, they all say the same thing about this guy. He's amazing. And he cares. And he loves guitars. And he loves guitar music. It's it's uh, it's great to have somebody like this on. He really is, in many respects, uh, responsible and an inspiration for me to do what I do here at Guitar Radio Show. And uh, it was super cool to talk to him. So we're going to have that up in just a little bit. But first... Folks, GuitarRadioShow.com for all your dot-com needs. Let's see here. Well, so I want to talk to you. Hey, did you check out Adam's blog, Adam P. Hunt's 500 Words on Why Ronnie Wood is the Best Stone? Did you? It's a good one. You should check it out for sure. I want to thank uh, our sponsors, DNA Guitars. You can go to DNAGuitarCompany.com to check them out. And, of course, the folks over at LockKnob, LockKnob.com, they have just recently uh, signed a deal with um, Stuart McDonald. So they're going to be in that catalog there, and it's a great product. So check them out. Um, we're ready to get going on this. You ready? Here's our interview with Mike Varney. Guitar Radio Show, guitarradioshow.com. 
All right, folks, I've been waiting a long time to talk to our next guest. Um, he's responsible for a lot of ca- careers in guitar, and uh, and we finally got him here on Guitar Radio Show. Welcome, Mr. Mike Varney. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. You know, I was talking to somebody um, last night, mentioning to them, uh, a guitar player, mentioning to them that I was going to... Um, talk to you and we were speculating on what your impact has been and i don't know if you even you you may not you you're probably a pretty modest guy and you don't even think about this but um you know after after leo fender les paul Jimi hendrix and eddie van halen you're next in line for a guy who's responsible for people picking up the guitar or uh, selling a lot of guitars and you never got a dime for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never, I never, uh, I never thought of that, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Now you make me feel bad. Uh, <laughs> no, well, I'm happy if I inspire people to pick up uh, guitar, and I uh, never, never would put myself in the league of uh, those great people you just mentioned. But uh, I certainly, and I'm not broke. So I guess I'm okay. I, I made a living <laughs> doing something that I love for 35 years, and uh, you know. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. In in and of itself, it's a beautiful thing. Um, exactly. So, you know, I I I you know, of course went and did my research on you. I mean, there was I first discovered you through the Spotlight column. Uh, in Guitar yeah. Player Magazine, because Guitar Player Magazine for me, as uh, growing up, was really my Bible. You know, so '82. What was I? I already was already nineteen, twenty. I was twenty years old, and um, and there I was. I was seeing people. I was even seeing people that I knew. You know, like uh, Jonas Helborg. You know, right? Uh, you know, and and Billy Sheen. Who you know? We would see t- Talis. I, I grew up. I grew up on Long Island in New York, and Talis would come down from Buffalo to play all the time. So we knew who who Billy was, and then to see him in, to see him in your column, to see him in your column, and then and then Ingve and everybody else, and it was just it just you kept on bringing out these people, and it was like almost like every single one ended up becoming really well known guitar player and important guitar players. Do you remember uh, Long Island guitar player? His name is Pete Zizzo. Yeah, is that Guitar Pete? No, that's Guitar Pete's a different Guitar Pete. Okay. I mean, it's a different Pete. Pete Zizzo, uh, I think it's from, I think that'd be a town called Old, Old Brookville. Is that a town? Yeah, sure. I think it's from there, Rosalind Harbor. Uh, he's a great guitar player, and uh, he was on a U.S. metal compilation, and he went out to be a a successful songwriter, producer, a lot of mainstream uh, pop artists. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Done this, I think the third, third U.S. metal album. I thought you might know this. He's um, how old would he be now? I think probably about uh, somewhere you know approaching probably late forties. Mm-hmm. Father's place and stuff like that. Oh yeah, my father's place for sure, and Sundance and all those places. Um, yeah. uh, but before all of that, 
I mean, you you are a guitar player, and it's it'd be interesting to know. And I and all the interviews I've ever read about you and or heard about you heard from you, no one's really ever asked. You know, um, what made you pick up the guitar? What guitar player inspired you, or what music inspired you to pick up the guitar in the first place? Oh wow! Well, I, I'm not exactly young, so uh, really weren't many shred guitar players. Uh, when I uh, picked up the guitar, so I have to say that influences were probably the, uh, you know, the, gosh, uh, the first psychedelic bands, I guess, and the Beatles and, uh, you know, Jefferson Airplane and stuff like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messenger Service, uh, you know, bands like that, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then you ended up playing punk. Yeah, but before that, I would say in the very early seventies, like seventy or seventy-one, I discovered Alan Holdsworth. When mm-hmm. I say discovered him, I mean found out who he was. I was just a you know in junior high school, <laughs> but um, you know I uh, yeah, and I, and I found Gary Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, in '71, I think it's when I just when I learned about Gary Moore and Alan Holdsworth and 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 Ollie Housel, who's a guitar player, and, mm-hmm. and Pat, another guitar player, we placed Alan Holdsworth in a band called Tempest. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, 12 years old or whatever. My my friend uh, Paul Mendelson and I and my brother, we would look for these pop guitar players. So we have a band like Blood Rock that was from Texas. Oh yeah, Pickens was really a good guitar player. Uh, we were listening to stuff like that when you know when I was just you know like, I'd say pre pre junior high school in the junior high school in that sort of era. So I really was into really really technical guitar playing, John McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. You know, just listening to stuff like that when I was really young. So uh, by the time I I mean, my favorite music was guitar power trios, you know, like mm-hmm. Green and uh, a lot of obscure ones that most people haven't heard of. Right. Yeah. Uh, like Mountain? Well, yeah, exactly. Mountain was a, a big one. I, I bought that first album when, and I, I don't know how old I was, probably 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just bought it because I thought it looked cool. I didn't even know anything about it. It just sounded like it might be good. And, uh, I don't think I'd ever even heard it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely uh, bands like Three Man Army and, and Sir Lord Baltimore and all these, uh, these, you know, hard rock. It's the kind of stuff that I was... Uh, so you, you were pretty, you were pretty well-rounded as far as your, as far as your listening habits were concerned, I guess, right? had no barrier or boundaries you know mm-hmm. if I country player or some great jazz player or rock player I just was listening for the artistry involved mm-hmm. you know and, the, and uh, obviously feeling was important too but mm-hmm. you know there were so few guys that really you know were you know playing with such a technical prowess I mean, Gary Moore was great you know when he was 
way before most people found out about him. You know, David Allen Holdsworth, uh, they all started kind of coming into, you know, prominence uh, in, in England about two years before they really kind of broke, you know, in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that. When I say broke, I mean, not that they were household words with, you know, the housewives, but, you know, it's <laughs> our... Yeah, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of housewives listening to Shred. <laughs> yeah, too bad. No, that is too bad. <laughs> but you, um, so when, at what point did you say, okay, I'm I'm gonna, I'm not gonna play per se. I'm gonna focus more on uh, cultivating other artists and their careers. Uh, the week I got married in in uh, 
won that week earlier before the, the wedding, 5,000 records showed up in my garage. And, uh, and my father and I were pretty blown away when we saw 5,000 records, what they actually looked like. And we lived on a golf, my dad had to move the golf cart. Um, and uh, put the records uh, in there. And so anyway, yeah, I just started selling them. And, uh, you know, that record didn't sell a ton, but I know that my record for EMI called Rock Justice, Dolson, that record didn't do well at all. <laughs> but the coolest thing that came out of it for me is that EMI took out an ad on the cover of Rolling Stone, me playing a 65 Blue SG standard. And uh, I found that somewhere recently when I moved, and I thought, wow, it's kind of funny to be on the cover of Billboard as an artist. You know, 
back home, you know, people like Billy Sheehan, you know, he found out about him and as myself and friend Mark Ferrari, who later on introduced him as Manny Keel. And uh, Mark Ferrari told me about Billy Sheehan and, and this was probably 82 or something. And uh, Billy and I became good friends and we worked together on different things you know, over the years. But I think Billy's manager told me that was their first piece of national and international press. said something earlier that, that kind of kind of prompted me to ask this question. You said you said earlier that you know you were wondering at that time, okay, who's going to be the next great guitar hero? Who's going to be that person? Well, so here we are. It's 2016. Who's next? Well, I mean, you know, you you I I always say this whenever I talk to anyone who's ever been on your label and I do a lot. I mean, I've had Greg Howe, Leslie West, uh, Chris Duarte on here. I mean, I must have had ten of ten of your 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 uh, 
your your folks on here and I and every okay so you know all the people that I talk to that have worked with you you know I, I, I always say to them hey you know he's the guy with the golden ears he knows he picked you to be on his label he knows he knows that he knows what to listen for and he's 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 helped cultivate dozens of careers who do you think is next is there anybody on the horizon uh you know i guess we'll just have to see you know i i don't really hear that many people that are doing anything new that's musically of use to me yeah. <laughs> you know uh you know i mean People would say, oh, man, those guys are just playing fast. But it was a lot more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and nowadays, you know, I mean, I've heard some guys that are really incredibly technically gifted, you know, really technically gifted, but, you know, there's really not, they're not really improving upon what the other guys did. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, there are a lot of great guitar players out there. You know, I, I think the next guy is going to be a guy that has a great band, you know, and, and figures out a way to put as much of his guitar identity into the music as possible. Yeah. You know? and, and the music will have to be really, the guy's signature, you know, will have to be woven throughout the music and to create an identity that, you know, is uniquely, you know, his own. Uh, so many guys are, are playing the same borrowed licks from everybody else. You know, yeah, somebody, somebody out there will figure out a way to have a unique, you know, perspective on it. And I'm sure there are guys out there doing it, but I don't hear a whole lot of that. How much? Do, how much do you think that the, the the digital aspect of things and the way that we digitized? How much do you think that has uh, affected and possibly uh, hindered that maturation? Well, you know, I would say that the digital age uh, they, they they said you know they leveled the playing field. Well, maybe the playing field shouldn't have been level. Mm-hmm. You know, and my theory is that. A lot of adults, you know, that love guitar, they've got kids, they've got, you know, all kinds of family obligations. They only have a certain amount of time to discover new stuff. And by making everybody, you know, making available to everybody the the, uh, ability to record inexpensive, you know, recordings at home uh, has put a lot of, you know, it's like putting a lot of unlicensed drivers out on the freeway, you know. There's all these guys out there that, 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 you know, should be practicing instead of recording and they're putting their stuff out there so it's kind of like a you know like a minefield mm-hmm. and if you've got 10 minutes or 15 minutes you want to find some good music you know you're tiptoeing around listening to stuff that says this guy's the next Zach Wild or the next you know Ingvay or whatever and it's some guy that's not very good and I think the digital age is discouraging from that perspective that you're, you yeah there's so much to choose from that level the playing field but you know, like Blue Note, you know, if somebody was on Blue Note, I mean, you'd know the guy could, could throw down, you know, yeah. be a good jazz player, right. you know, and other labels out there, if somebody was on that label, you'd know there was some degree of musicality proficiency that got them to that stage. There was somebody out there that was, you know, I guess a gatekeeper, so to speak, you know, and you have to have that if you have a business. You have to build a product that people, you know, can rely on and feel you know, good about. And I just think that the digital age is, is, is with being able to record digitally in your house and stuff. It's it's dummied down the recording quality. It, it's it's a lot a lot of people that are not qualified to to put stuff out there and, and waste people's time. They're out there listening, 
for something good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and everybody thinks now that you know they've been playing a year. We got to make a record. You know, and it yeah. didn't used to be that. It didn't used to be that way. Maybe for a minute in the '60s it was that way, but you know it. So between Spotify, which the promise of Spotify, in my opinion, long term, you know, it could be good, but in the short term, artists that need that core five or ten thousand people to buy a record, you know, to make it worth recording one, you know, if those guys are listening to records and paying, you know, zillions of a penny, you know, from from the uh, streaming sites back to the label, which then takes their kind of pays the artist what's left, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot encouraging that. And uh, luckily the price of the gas had come down a little bit, so maybe people can tour more inexpensively and get out there. But, you know, the record has become you know, uh, it used to be that the record was, you know, how you make money and the tours and whatnot were, it's in merchandise, they're all important, but now the record is sort of just, a, I don't know what you call it, it's like a calling card or something, it really isn't a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people don't feel like they have to have records anymore. I feel like I have to have records, I couldn't get enough of them. Can't yeah. get enough of them. Yeah. But, you know, unfortunately that's not what people seem to think. So it's hard for a label to, you know, put a record out with an audience, you know, that maybe there's five to 10,000 core fans or 20,000 core fans or whatever that are still holding on with interest to a certain style and find out that, that, that three quarters of them are gonna get it for free or close to free on a streaming site mm-hmm. uh, or just downloading illegally from a torrent or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, kids are being raised with the thought that, you know, ripping stuff for free is just fine, but no one really, seems to think through, you know, that a lot of these artists are true artists and they they need to have a certain sonic level, you know, uh, in their recordings uh, and proficiency to make a great record to make them want to get up in the morning and continue mm-hmm. being artists. And by cutting off that income stream by, you know, people not buying records, you know, it, it means there's less money there for that artist to record, yeah. you know, and you've got people, you know, they're doing fundraising campaigns, which are great in, in some respects, but then, you know, you raise $30,000 to uh, make a uh, make a record, then you have 2,000 people, you gotta go and order the CDs, you gotta order the packaging material, you gotta go and, you know, package it up and send it to them, and mm-hmm. you know, you're in a whole other business now, you're not just about creating art and doing your thing, you're, you become something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's good, good and bad with the digital age. Long term, I'm hoping that we'll figure out a way to we'll figure out a way to distribute the income so that everybody can get something. But right now, I think it's a little bit. You know, we're just going through growing pains right now, and it's just, you know, the people were riding horses and buggies, and a car came, you know, and a yeah. faster car, and then so we're we're in evolution mode right now, and sometimes growing pains are difficult to go through. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of labels have had a, a tough time because you know they're not they're not. They still have to put the same money out. You know, a real quality record in a, in a real studio still is going to cost something. Quality engineer, and and you know, with the sales being choked off by you know various you know free you know or close to free you know outlets, it's just hard to uh, to manufacture those records. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you absolutely, and I agree with you. I mean, I have lots of friends who are putting out stuff, you know, that they've gone and they've spent a lot of money on, went to studios and recorded with, and and you know, and they're 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 trolling around Reverb Nation trying to get something happening, and you know, nothing's happening. Um, exactly. You know, uh, you you in in some ways was inspiration for for me doing what I'm doing now with this show. 
the, oh, thank you. the the whole idea behind this show was, you know, I was a musician. I was in a hair band in the '80s, back when I had hair, and <laughs> and uh, you know, and and I would have loved to have had an, a a a, uh, a venue that I could have gotten my music heard. And, you know, we, we did okay for ourselves. You know, we always used to say we had everything but the money. And, um, you know, so I, I, I thought, you know, let me, let me put together a show where I could play musicians, guitar players in particular, that uh, would not normally get heard, but they deserve to be heard. And, uh, you know, and then in, in between there, I get to play people, you know, I get to talk to people like Greg Howe or Chris Duarte or, you know, or, or Joe Lewis Walker, you know, but, um, or you, and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's gratifying to, to, to be able to do that. Did you feel that same kind of gratification when you would do a spotlight Absolutely. column? I mean, yeah, when I first heard Greg Howe, I thought, wow, this guy's really, he's a next level guy at what he's doing, you know, I mean, even Satriani, I should say Joe, it's not even respectful, really. <laughs> <laughs> in the 70s, so, you know, but you know, he even said to me once, man, like, he said, Greg Howe's really something, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, yeah, he is, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, a guy like Greg, uh, I mean, he's he's really continues to make great music, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Joe Louis Walker, I mean, he continues on, and uh, he's a great, great artist. He's you know, a road, he's a road great. dog, that guy. Yeah, you know, all great to work with, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel honored to have been able to work with people like that and Chris Duarte. I mean, he's a fabulous guy and a great, great player and, you know, the best, best in my opinion, of, you know, what he does, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's pretty unique. Yeah. He rides the line between Stevie Ray Vaughan and improvisational jazz artist. Yeah, absolutely. And there, and there was, there was a couple of tracks on the, on the, uh, on the last record that, that uh, to me was like, like he was channeling Joe Walsh. It was pretty wild. Yeah, of course. We thought that we thought that too. Uh, it wasn't unintentional, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely he's got a classic rock and pop sensibility, and you know, actually, he's making a record right now, uh, not for me, but uh, that you know, it's going to be kind of it's not a Chris Duarte group record; it's a Chris Duarte album, but it's you know, you know, uh, you know, stretching out into the various uh, you know other musical styles and whatnot, and I'm sure there'll be more of that kind of thing on that record, which yeah. is great at. Yeah. And what about you as an empresario? What's next for you? Well, um, I'm, uh, I'm making some more records. I've got a record coming out with uh, Dario and Lorena, L-O-R-I-A, yeah. guitar player for the Black, Black, Black Label Society. Yeah, I've had I'm Dario, I've had, I've had him on the show, yeah. Super cool guy. Hey, I got I got a call at the door. Do you mind if I call you back in ten or fifteen and we can wrap this up? Is that okay? We can wrap it up right now. That's fine. I want you, you sure? to yeah, for sure. I want you to get and do go on with your night, and I'm going to go on with mine. Hey, man. Okay. All right. Thank you for all the inspiration, Mike. I, I really okay, appreciate well, it. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on your show. I don't want to talk too much. It's no. Uh, you make my job easier. <laughs> You and thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for fighting the good fight, sir. All right. Take care, Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, there you have it. Uh, like I said, I wanted to uh, talk to him for a long time. He's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on in his life, and uh, it was a pleasure that he was uh, able to take some time out, carve out some time for us to sit and talk. Special thanks to Scott Thomas from Guitars Forever Promotion for setting this up and uh, 
and making it happen. Um, I, I don't think I could have made this happen on my own for sure. So thank you, Scott, very, very much. Um, we got to get out of here. So folks, remember, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, keep on playing, and please buy it, don't steal it. And we'll see you on the next episode of Guitar Radio Show. Peace. I like this crowd already. GRS Productions. New episodes of Guitar Radio Show air every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbay, Player FM, Podomatic, and of course on GuitarRadioShow.com.